Well, it's good to be with you all again uh, this morning as we continue our uh, journey here through the Minor Prophets as we're, we're looking at this uh, section of, of Scripture and the story that it's telling, and the unified story that it's, it's uh, showing us of, of uh, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so if you would, uh, go ahead and turn with me uh, to Joel. We're going to be in the prophet Joel this morning, uh, chapter 2. And we're going to see just how Joel uh, is in the main, one of the main passages of Joel that we'll look at this morning, how he's picking up on these themes in the Minor Prophets and how he's continuing the story, building upon what was the foundation that was laid by Hosea that we looked at uh, last week. But if you would, look with uh, me at uh, Joel chapter 2, and I'll read the text for us, beginning in verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, may your Spirit work in us now as we consider your Word, uh, and help us to see your Son in this text, Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we learn more about Him, may we seek to be like Him, all to your glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. And well, the Minor Prophets, as we've, we talked about last week and as we're starting this, this uh, sermon series uh, through the Minor Prophets, that all of these prophets, they're, they're each distinct individuals, distinct books in our Bible, but they're all painting uh, one portrait or several portraits of the one King, the one person, uh, Jesus Christ And because each of these portraits have the the same subject, they're all talking about the same person, it makes sense that there's a lot of connections and there's a lot of themes that they share, a lot of similarities they share with one another. And so last week we talked about how Hosea, he introduces this main theme in this uh, section of our Bibles, these, these 12 prophets. And that this theme is that there's this future Davidic king, this future king who's coming, who's going to redeem and restore his people. And Hosea said that this king would come in the latter days. That's how he phrased it. But we are not given much more information about what that is or when that would be or what that would look like. This was a pressing issue for ancient Israel because at that time, during Hosea and Joel's ministry, they're ministering around the same time, the 750s B.C. or so, they're getting ready to be exiled. They're already feeling the pressure uh, from Assyria, who's going to uh, bring them into exile in around 722 B.C., only a few, uh, around 30 years or so, from when they were ministering with this uh, catastrophe and this destruction happen. And as they're, they're hearing the message of these prophets, and as their children and grandchildren are sitting in exile, and, and they're revisiting these words, and they're hearing and reading these stories again, they're, they're wondering, when is this going to happen? When are we going to be restored? When is, when is God going to deliver us out of exile? And well, for us today, 
we can sometimes have similar questions. Because we're living in this this in-between time where we know Jesus has already come. He's accomplished the work of redemption on the cross. He's paid the penalty of our sins. We're, We're saved. We're redeemed in that sense. We are restored back to relationship with Him. But we still live in this fallen world. We still uh, experience pain and loss and grief. We still hurt one another with our words and with our actions. We still recognize that this world is not all there is. There's something left to be done. Christ has not yet returned and come again and made all things new. And so we, like them, we're still waiting for a future day uh, to happen and to come. And so Joel, uh, he helps us with this tension he helps us describe the situation that we're in, this in-between that we're in. We sometimes talk about it, refer to it as the already but not yet. Maybe you've heard that terminology before. He helps us to understand where we are, and he does that by talking about the great theme that, that Joel talks about. He, he talks about the day of the Lord. It's the day of the Lord, and, and that's what we want to consider this morning. I want to consider the main thrust of Joel's message in his ministry which is centered around this day of the Lord as he describes it. And so as we look at, at this, uh, this theme and this passage, we'll see how it connects back to Hosea. And you'll remember that's the, one of the first goals of our sermon series, how these books connect to each other. But we'll also see how it ultimately connects to Christ, the, the second goal of this series, and, and the most important, the ultimate goal, to see how this all points ahead and connects to the person and work of Christ. So let's, let's look now, let's consider uh, the prophet Joel together in, in this section here. Uh, he, he's the second of the minor prophets. He shows up here in between Hosea and Amos. He's ministering around the same time, and he's building upon Hosea's message. He adds to it. He describes how this, this terrifying, this horrific destruction that's, that's approaching Israel, that's coming very soon, the one that Hosea warned them about, he's warning them about it too about God's judgment against all wickedness and all unrighteousness. Uh, it's, a, it's an unpopular topic, but it's, it's an important one, and it's a true one. There is a day coming, and that's the day when Christ returns, when He will judge all wickedness and unrighteousness. He will judge all things and all people, and, and all sinfulness will be punished. It will be dealt with. But... In the midst of these proclamations of destruction and of judgment, there are glimpses and and pictures of hope and of joy. And in fact, our passage this morning has a a bit of both of those things because they're all wrapped up in this great theme of the day of the Lord. And so when we describe it, when we summarize it, we can say it like this, the way it's put in your bulletin, that it's a present and a future day of the Lord. You see, this is what Joel's telling us. He's telling us that this this day of the Lord that is coming... It's both a present reality, but it's also a day that we're, we're waiting for. And I want to make this, this connection uh, explicit here. Hosea said that God's people would seek after the Lord, that they'd seek after David their king, and that they would be restored in the latter days or in the last days. Left somewhat vague. What exactly does that mean? Joel's picking up on that. And he says these, these last days, these latter days, can be summarized in the great day of the Lord. So that's what Joel's doing. This is the day of the Lord. And so let's consider that now. Let's look at our text, use the text as our guide, and we'll see how this, this great day of the Lord, not just the 24-hour day that we experience, but an entire uh, span of history, it's all present in God's mind. He's, he's outside of time. He's preexistent. 
Uh, he, he sees it all uh, presently, but we, we see it uh, sequentially. But we'll, we'll look now how this day of the Lord is a present reality, also has a future reality, how Jesus is the key to all of it. And it'll make sense, make more sense as we go along. But let's, let's look here at this text, see how it's a, a present and a future day of the Lord. Well, first, let's consider how this day of the Lord that Joel's talking about is a present reality. This is one of the most well-known prophecies in, in all of Scripture, one of the most well-known uh, within Joel himself. Uh, so you might recognize that this prophecy, which shows up in the book of Acts, in, in Acts uh, chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we're, we're uh, in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, this great uh, feast day. And uh, we see that there's many Jews and there's other proselytes and other people from all over the world that have come and, and traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate to, to celebrate God's physical and God's material provision for them uh, through the harvest. That's what they're celebrating on the day of Pentecost. But something miraculous happened 2,000 years ago on that day in Pentecost. And, and so from then on, that word would take on a whole new meaning. Uh, Mark Johnston uh, is a, a pastor, author of, of several commentaries, and, and he says that this day of Pentecost... He says, would mark the inauguration of the global spiritual harvest to which the Old Testament points. And he says that many from around the Roman Empire that day would return to their homes as the first fruits of God's saving work among the nations. That's what happened on on the day of Pentecost that day as the spirits poured out upon the church and upon God's people. So you see, what was once only a prophecy of a day in the future is, is now a present reality for God's people. There's no more waiting, but God's people are now reaping the benefits of this new and spiritual harvest. The prophecy that Joel made about the future day of the Lord is now a present day, a present reality. Peter's saying that among, among everything else Peter's saying. He, he's saying that uh, what Joel was referring to in the future is now the present reality of the church. And so if you would, let's, let's look at Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 together. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there over with me, or I'll read the section for us as well. You can just uh, listen and follow along. But in Acts chapter 2, we're, we're here on, uh, in Jerusalem, and uh, Peter will stand up and he'll, he'll preach the sermon. But, but we see uh, at the beginning of this chapter, the apostles, they're waiting uh, they're, they're praying, they're seeking the Lord, and the Spirit is poured out upon them. And they began to speak in, in other languages from, from various parts of the world, which the, the speakers, the apostles, they had not known previously. It's the miraculous work of God. But they were, they were speaking in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance so that they could preach the gospel message to all who were gathered there. All who are gathered in Jerusalem. And verse 5 tells us, Acts chapter 2, that there are people in Jerusalem, and in addition to the Jewish population there, that there was people from every nation under heaven. And they had all come to celebrate, the, celebrate Pentecost together, but now they're sitting and, and they're uh, listening to the apostles' uh, message and to their teachings. And each person was hearing the preaching of the apostles in their own native language. And you can see the list of different countries uh, listed here in the following verses. Uh, no, no fewer than, than 14 different uh, groups and nationalities and ethnicities are, are listed there, all hearing uh, the gospel in their native tongue. Well, how could this be? 
Some were amazed, but it says that others, others mocked. Others uh, didn't think this was real. They, they considered that they must, these, these people must be drunk. <laughs> and that's when Peter gets up with the other 11 apostles, and he addresses the crowd. And, and so I'll pick up reading here in, in verse 14. Let me read this section to you. But Peter, verse 14, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. He said, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, or around around 9 a.m. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And here we see Peter quoting our passage this morning. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show the wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. You hear that great theme, the day of the Lord. The great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He goes on, verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. What a wonderful promise of Scripture. Jesus truly is raised from the dead. But but do you see uh, how he responds to the crowd? There. They're not drunk. They're not speaking under their own power. They're not speaking under the influence of any drug or of anything whatsoever. They're speaking under the influence of the Spirit Himself who's giving them utterance, who's giving them this this new miraculous ability to speak in these other languages. And they're doing all this now, presently, as the Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. And so what does it mean? What, what does it mean that the Spirit's poured out on all flesh? It does not mean that, that every individual who's ever lived, ever will live, has received this, this pouring out. But what it does mean is that this Spirit's anointing, the Spirit's uh, anointing power is not restricted or limited to any specific person or group of people or the ethnic nation of Israel as it once was. You see, that? that's what it was before. As we read through the Old Testament, as we read through uh, uh, those books of the Bible, the Spirit's anointing was restricted to a select few, to, to God's anointed, to His kings and to His prophets and to His priests. But now, present day, in the church, according to the Lord Jesus' own institution, His own promise, the Spirit's poured out on everyone, on all. Every Christian, every believer has the Spirit. You see, this is the point that, that Paul makes in, in Galatians 3.28 where he says there's no longer uh, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. What's Paul saying there? Is he, is he saying that those uh, created a natural, uh, the naturally created order of things, those, those things are wiped away with? 
Is he saying that there's, there's no more distinction, that men and women are the, are the exact same? No, he, he's not saying that. What he is saying is that there are still ethnic differences and diversity. There are still distinctions between men and women, but we're all saved the same way. We all have equal access before God. Men and women are both saved by the same mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. And the Spirit has been poured out on all. No one has more Spirit, no one has less. All have equal access before God. The the ground before the cross is, is level ground. And this is the present reality that we live in. And that is why Jesus could tell his disciples that it's, it's better for me to depart from you. And when we think about that, that seems, seems ridiculous. How could it be better? Wouldn't it have been better if Jesus just stayed on earth the entire time? If he was still here with us today? What kind of problems would that solve among us? But Jesus said that it was better for him to depart. Why, why could he say that? Because he was sending his very own spirit to dwell in us. Same Spirit that would uh, be poured out upon us, that would dwell in us, that would be our guarantee of our salvation, that we belong to Him, and that would also empower us to do the mission and the work that has been set before us. And so we are able now, through the power of the Spirit, to function as as lowercase p uh, prophets in, in our lives and in our world. Because we have the Spirit of God who who works in us, dwells in us. We can speak truth to ourselves. We have the Word of God inspired, given to us. We We can practice this in our lives. We can preach it to ourselves and to our friends and to our family. We can we can serve others and we can bear witness about the truth and about our faith to an unbelieving world. And so the point of this passage, it's 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 not to teach us that that we ought to expect. Uh, new visions and new, new revelation and, and new words from the Lord. But He has given us his, his final and His perfect revelation in His Word already, the Old and New Testaments that we have. But rather, the point of this passage, what it's telling us here in this section, is that this, in the past, the Spirit was restricted to a select few, but now in the present, it has been poured out on all. So one of the ways that uh, we put this, uh, John Calvin, he writes, and he, he says that God did not pour out His Holy Spirit so abundantly and so largely under the law, which, which is his shorthand way of talking about the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. He said God did not pour out His Holy Spirit so abundantly and so largely under the law as after the manifestation of Christ. See, now that Christ has come, He's, he's inaugurated this this uh, new age. We're, we're in the last days now. This is a present reality. And the fulfillment of Joel is that the Spirit's been poured out on all flesh, on His church. You see, that's the, the present reality of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, in that sense, it has come. You see, Christ has died. He, he has been buried. He has been raised again. And He's ascended, and He sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty. And from there, He has sent His Spirit into the world, and that Spirit indwells in us. And so we live in that present reality. And in that sense, we're, we're living, uh, according to Peter, we're living in these last days. 
And so if you are in Christ and you, you are presently, currently justified and saved, your sins have been forgiven, uh, you have been washed clean by the blood of Christ. That is all presently true. That is all uh, present reality in the life of the Christian. But we know that things are still not the way they should be, that there's still brokenness, that there's still sin in the world. And that is because there's still a future reality to come. And so that leads us to the second point, this, the second thing, the second aspect of this day of the Lord. That is that it's a, a future reality because Jesus will come again and He will restore all things back to the way they should be. So look back with me now. Uh, turn back to Joel. Uh, we'll go back to our passage here. And we'll see the second half of, of, this, uh, uh, of this passage really gets at this, at this uh, future reality. Part of this text we, we see in the book of Acts and in Peter's sermon, this has been fulfilled. This is a present reality. The day of the Lord has come, but there's still more to come. We live in this already and not yet. There's a tension that we live in. And so Joel lists several things about uh, what's going to happen. He, he talks about uh, in, in verses uh, 30 and 31. These, these wonders in the heavens and on the earth and, and blood and fire and columns of smoke and sun being turned to darkness and uh, moon being turned to blood. He says all this will happen before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now these things are they're all references. They're all talking about Jesus' second coming. Uh, when, when He returns. These signs and these wonders are very similar to Jesus' own description of that day uh, near the end of the Gospel accounts. Uh, Matthew 24, uh, for example, refers to uh, some, some of these signs. And, of course, similar signs and, and imagery also show up in the book of Revelation and other apocalyptic material. These are all things that are pointing ahead towards uh, Jesus, uh, His second coming. And they're all very interesting. They're all very intriguing. And uh, we could, and people have written books about it. And uh, you can uh, go on Christian TV program. You can spend hours and hours of time uh, talking about these things and creating charts and and cracking the code and finding out for certain exactly when Jesus is going to return and what it will look like and which countries are going to be involved and who's what and which and where. All that stuff is very interesting. But that's not the main point of this passage, and that's not what we're about either. Not that any of those things that we don't have some good answers for, not that we can't uh, think about those things, but we have to keep the main thing, the main thing. And what we're interested in is verse 32. You see, all of the things before are out of our control, outside of our control. They are and must be left to God alone, to His secret will. But here's what's in our control. Verse 32, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the message of Joel. That there is a future day coming when Jesus will return. And He'll bring judgment and He'll bring mercy. But He will bring judgment. Judgment against all wickedness and all unrighteousness. And we're included in that judgment by our sinful nature. See, all have fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, but the wages of sin is eternal death. 
See, that, that is the truth. That, uh, that is the teaching of Scripture. It can be uncomfortable. It can uh, not be a fun message to hear, but it is the truth nonetheless. On account of our sin, we bear God's wrath, but, but God stepped in. And there is mercy. And this is the message of Joel. This day, uh, this great day of the Lord is a great day of judgment, except for all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And in that case, it becomes a day of mercy. Paul will say in, in Romans chapter 10, and he, he actually quotes from, from Joel here. Uh, so, so listen for this quote from Joel. He says, uh, Paul writes that, There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, that, that's what it comes down to. That, that's what all of this comes down to. It's the question of what, what do you make of Jesus? That's the question. There, there's no salvation in anyone else and neither is there any other name under heaven by which we can be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. But Paul, he says earlier in chapter 10 in Romans, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So all who call upon the name of Jesus will be saved, both now presently and at the last day when He comes. That that salvation is final. It's complete. It's perfect in Jesus Christ if you've received and rested upon Him alone for your salvation. And so the question that the Spirit is putting before us today is this. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? That's the question. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Many of us here have done that. We've professed our faith in Christ. We've, we've made, made vows before the congregation here and before God in heaven that uh, we have received Him, that we're resting upon Him alone for our salvation, that we know we're sinners, rightly deserving God's wrath, but we have been justified and sanctified and we will be glorified on that last day when He returns. But for some here, that may not be true. Maybe you've not yet given your life to Christ. You've not yet trusted in the one through whom we have salvation. And if that's true of you, then the good news is that today is the day of salvation. But call upon the name of the Lord. That's the message of Joel. That is his his main theme, that this day of the Lord that is coming. It's a scary day. It's a frightening day. It's a terrifying day because it's a day of judgment. It's a day of destruction. It's a day when the King of kings and the Lord of lords will return and He'll make all things new. Part of that making all things new is eradicating that which is broken and sinful and unrighteous and unholy. But for those who are in Christ, this day of the Lord is a wonderful day. It's a day of salvation and a day of restoration. And we can have confidence and we uh, can hope in Him because our future with Him is secure in the here and now, in the present, with the assurance of the Spirit that He has given to us that has been poured out upon us. And so we see the key of all this is King Jesus. He is the Messiah King. He's the one who redeems and restores. He's the one who saves 
the minor prophets, they're all painting this portrait of Jesus. But they're, they're pointing ahead to him. That's a fascinating thing. They, they don't yet know his name, but rather they refer to him as the Davidic king, a king like David, as Hosea did, or they refer to this time as the day of the Lord, like Joel does. But now we live on the other side of the cross, and we're, we're blessed with the, full, uh, uh, the fullness of God's revelation, and we know that this day of the Lord is actually the day of our Lord, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was the, the king like David, who is the Messiah king. He is the Lord. He is our Lord. He's the one whom Joel promised and prophesied toward. He's the one who poured out his very own spirit. He is the one who is, and he is the one who is to come. And you can have confidence that your future is secure because He has poured out His Spirit upon you. Let's pray.